Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from Lancet Neurology. It's December 2021, and I'm Cahill McQuillan. This month, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Alberto Costa, a professor at the School of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio. Dr. Costa's new research on the effects of memantine in enhancing episodic memory for adolescents and young adults with Down syndrome is published in our upcoming issue. Hi, Dr. Costa. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us here today. Well, thank you. So could you begin by telling us about your study population and are there any specific challenges when conducting trials in people with Down syndrome? Well, our study population consisted of uh, adolescents and young adults with Down syndrome. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Down syndrome is primarily caused by the presence of three copies of chromosome 21 instead of the usual two copies in the nucleus of your cells. So uh, Down syndrome is at the same time the most common genetically defined cause of intellectual disabilities. And it's also a genetic disorder uh, that's associated with the earliest onset of Alzheimer's disease that we know. Therefore, I I think uh, it's a little confusing uh, sometimes uh, for people to understand our study because uh, we used a drug that was approved for uh, those with Alzheimer's disease and we target the cognitive deficits associated with Down syndrome and not the neurogenerative component. So instead of recruiting older people with Down syndrome, we recruited participants whose age was between 15 and 32 years which made them unlikely to to actually have Alzheimer's-type dementia. In our view, the main factor that makes it particularly difficult to uh, recruit in this population is the simple fact that uh, this is still an unproven therapeutic target. In other words, to date, there is no good clinical evidence, including our study, that pharmacological intervention to enhance cognitive abilities of uh, those with Down syndrome is even possible. Of course, there are other factors to consider. For example, these are adolescents and young adults who have a chromosomal disorder associated with several comorbidities. And this means that uh, parents and caregivers of those individuals are likely to have had extensive encounters with healthcare and rehabilitation professionals during the first decade or so of their kid, uh, their children's lives. And uh, by the time they're in their late teenage years and early adulthood, the same parents and caregivers may be somewhat tired of such encounters. And uh, also because severe behavior issues are not as common in those with Down syndrome as they are in uh, autistic persons. Sometimes uh, the parents of individuals with Down syndrome don't see the same need for pharmacological intervention as their counterpart in the autism community. And finally, uh, there are complex issues related to guilt and acceptance in this community. And many parents uh, see any attempt to pursue a pharmacological intervention almost as proof that they don't accept their children uh, for who they are. And so it, it is complicated. It's really interesting. Thank you. Could you explain to us what was the rationale behind the choice of memantine as the study intervention? Well, uh, the present study was actually the logical conclusion of about 15 years of work, uh, which was done primarily uh, by our research team. 
but uh, also confirmed by other uh, research groups. Initiated as a T0 preclinical study done in mouse models of Down syndrome, and that study showed uh, evidence for alterations in the function of any methyl G aspartate or NMJ subtype uh, of glutamate receptors in these mice. And there was also good indication that uh, uh, we would find the same kind of alterations in people with Down syndrome. The NMJ receptors uh, are the accepted target of the drug memantine. And uh, so this initial preclinical work in mouse models led us to both produce more uh, preclinical work and to the design of a first-of-a-kind pilot trial of memantine in young adults with Down syndrome. That work was published about nine years ago and showed some weak evidence that one measure of episodic memory uh, the total free recall score of the California Verbal Learning Test, second edition, so uh, short form, or uh, CVLT for short, uh, might show uh, greater improvement in the memantine group uh, when compared to the placebo group. And it was this study that led us uh, uh, into designing and performing the present study, in which now the, the, the total free recall score of the CVLT short form became the primary efficacy measure measure for the study. Okay. So your trial was conducted at sites in Brazil and the USA. I'm sure multi-center studies can be challenging by themselves, but your trial was also affected by COVID-19 and the pandemic. Could you tell us about some of the challenges that the pandemic posed for both you and your colleagues? Yeah, I, I'm sure that I'm not alone in that, but the, the the COVID-19 pandemic had really devastating effects in our study. It affected uh, hospital operations and accessibility. It decreased access to public uh, transportation, uh, which was especially critical in Brazil, uh, given that here in America, most people drive to anywhere, pretty much. And it basically also generated concerns about safety uh, of our participants and the trial personnel. And um, all of a sudden, uh, new recruitments had to be stopped. Trial pre-intervention procedures had to be halted for some of the patients or participants. And we lost some of the participants to follow up. And, uh, and of course, we can't ignore the fact that uh, COVID may have produced unusual levels of stress in the 22 participants that had their follow-up neuropsychological evaluation between February 1st and July 22nd, which is when we uh, had to stop the trial. I mean, we tried to adjust by basically uh, making some mid-trial follow-up uh, visits uh, as uh, remote telemedicine type of visits, but I mean, that didn't solve the problem. And in the end, I mean, um, Data collection uh, had to basically uh, be term uh, had to be terminated uh, before we reached our intended recruitment goal of 200 participants, and uh, and of course we end up with an imbalance in numbers between the two arms of the study, mm -hmm. which uh, obviously led us to uh, loss of statistical po power in both the primary and the post hoc analysis that we later performed. Yeah, did oppose more challenges in the U.S. Uh, than in Brazil, or was it, you know, kind of matched? It depended on the month, because uh, as I said, uh, early on, 
it started here before it started in Brazil, uh, full force. And in Brazil, uh, in Sao Paulo, the city of Sao Paulo, they have a complete lockdown that basically closed the hospital. So all the operations had to be stopped at that point. And that lasts over a month, maybe two months. And in here, we never had a complete lockdown. So that was different that way. And again, I mean, because in Sao Paulo, they had a they were more dependent on public transportation than here. I'd say that it probably affected uh, the trial procedures more in Brazil than in here. But it became very clear early on that uh, we couldn't continue because at that point we didn't have a vaccine and uh, and it, it was dif difficult to uh, justify the continuation of a trial. For what I said to you is, uh, unfortunately, it's still an unproved target. So. Yeah, that is, that's a shame. On another note, you, you did notice an interesting finding regarding the amounts of memantine in the plasma of some participants, with many participants not achieving therapeutic doses. Could you elaborate on your ideas about why this might have happened and what the implications of it might be? Yeah, so that was one of the things. I mean, uh, yeah, just to be clear about uh, the results of this study. Uh, this was a negative study in the sense that memantine uh, was well tolerated, but both the primary uh, measure and, uh, and, and the secondary measures uh, were not different between uh, the, the medication and the placebo uh, groups here. But another measure that we had uh, uh, in this trial was um, the, the assessment of uh, the quantitative assessment of uh, the levels of memantine in plasma. And we found that in 90% of those who, for whom we actually obtain uh, usable uh, plasma samples, the concentration of memantine fell well below the therapeutic range, and which is considered to be between 0.5 and 1 uh, micromole per liter. And, and obviously, um, looking back at the those previous studies that I mentioned to you about mouse models, the preclinical studies, they were substantially lower uh, than those that we found in the mouse models. And this led us to perform a post hoc exploratory analysis on the 23 individuals whose level of memantine was at least approaching that therapeutic level. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough people within the therapeutic level to perform a good analysis on that uh, uh, on those individuals because only seven of those individuals had uh, levels uh, high enough as the therapeutic level. But in those 23 that were approaching that, we found out that um, significant difference uh, in our primary and one of the secondary measures of our trial. And that secondary measure was the recall of digits, which basically gives you a uh, Kind of the size of your short-term memory storage. This is a very interesting uh, finding because uh, we've known for a long, long time that uh, that storage space in individuals with Down syndrome tend to be much smaller uh, than in the general population. If you think of the classic uh, uh, George Miller study, that uh, the classic seven plus minus two space of your uh, short-term memory. In individuals with Down syndrome, that space is more like uh, three plus minus one. So it's severely limited, limits uh, a lot of what they are able to 
keeping their short-term memory and uh, that might have real clinical consequence. And we found out that uh, that storage space in that post hoc analysis increased by about a digit uh, in their digit span. So it might actually be a very, very interesting thing to pursue in future studies. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel that leads perfectly into the last question. What do you think the next steps are for this area of research? Well, we're currently uh, applying for funds for funds and uh, for follow-up studies. And uh, those follow-up studies would basically be those finding studies and pharmacokinetic studies uh, to get a better grasp of uh, the, the necessary doses of, uh, of uh, memogene to achieve uh, decent levels that we could consider therapeutic. And the interesting part is that we already know that uh, two or three times the recommended dose uh, in the treatment of Alzheimer's have been used historically uh, in patients experiencing uh, neuropathic pain and other uh, neurological disorders. Doses have been well tolerated in those patients. So we need now to find out whether such higher doses of memogene would be uh, also tolerated by the vast majority of those with Down syndrome. And if that turns out to be true, we'd like to design and perform efficacy trials involving those higher doses of memogene. And uh, and, uh, finally, uh, there are other um, agents that target uh, NMJ receptors that are on the market, uh, such as uh, amantigene, dextromethorphan, for example, and ketamine, which has making a, has been making a big comeback as uh, uh, the new wonder psychiatric do- uh, uh, drug to treat uh, major depression. And, uh, and there are other uh, compounds in development, such as actually uh, nitromemogene, which is a uh, nitrosylated uh, derivative of memogene. And if we find out a signal, clinically relevant signal of efficacy in this uh, future studies with higher doses of memogene, studies with those other drugs and compounds could be uh, considered as potential treatments to enhance cognition of uh, those with Down syndrome. And uh, that would definitely be uh, kind of a dream come true uh, for somebody who has spent a uh, 25 years of his life or his career uh, dedicated to the study of Down syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. Well, it sounds it sounds quite hopeful anyway. But yeah, that's that's all the questions I have. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak to me. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. No, thank you. You can read Dr. Costa's research online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Costa and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation with The Lancet Neurology wherever you usually get your podcasts.